The text for the sermon is 2 Samuel chapter 24, verses 10 to 25. The entirety of that section of scripture will be read during the course of the sermon. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Do you know how much money you have in the bank? Not down to the penny. That would be compulsive, but... Do you have like a general idea of how much money is available to you right now? Probably you should. And actually, if you have no clue how much money you have in the bank, that might not be such a great sign. That might actually be an indication that you're, you're maybe not being such a great steward of the money that God has given to you to use in his service. What about your health? Do you have a general idea on the status of your health? Again, not every detail of your health. There's no way any human being could ever know every detail. But do you know generally what kind of shape you're in and what physical challenges might be facing you? Uh, Again, you probably should. And again, if you don't have any clue what kind of shape you're in, it might not be such a good sign. Uh, It might be a sign that you're not being such a good steward of the body and brain that God gave you after knitting you together fearfully and wonderfully. All right, so along these same lines, do you think that David, the king of Israel, should know how many fighting men he has in his kingdom? Uh, Consider David is their commander-in-chief. And God has given these fighting men to King David to protect the Israelites and also to go out and conquer the full breadth of the land that God had promised to his people. So these fighting men, these are David's weapon to fight for the people of Israel. This is God's chosen nation and the nation that is carrying the promise of the Savior for the whole world. So would you agree that King David really should know how many fighting men he has in Israel? And could we even say that if King David has no clue, no clue how many warriors are available to him in Israel, he's actually being kind of a lousy king, sort of a negligent leader. Well, King David does want to know. So he summons his commander, a man named Joab, and he commands Joab to make a count of all the fighting men in Israel. David tells Joab, travel through all the tribes of Israel from Dan to Beersheba and register the fighting men. Then I will know how many there are. Now this commander, Joab, he is many things. Oblivious is not one of them. And there is something in this command from his king that causes Joab to recoil. Joab can sense that this is more than just a responsible king making sure that his nation is ready militarily. Listen to how Joab answers David. The Lord your God will make the people a hundred times larger, however many they may be, and the eyes of my Lord the king will see it. But why does my Lord the king have such a strong desire to do this? 
Joab smells something rotten in David's command to count the fighting men. And what could it be? Well, King David is now getting up there in years, and he has absolutely nothing to prove to anybody. David has been a winner his whole life, ever since that smooth little stone left his sling and went zipping toward the forehead of Goliath the giant, David has been winning, winning, winning. And he has been a great and God-pleasing king of Israel now for nearly 40 years. He's seen some tragedies and David has made some mistakes, some of them terrible, but overall David has been a great king. He is the best king that Israel will ever have and it's not even close and not, even, not only that, but David is just coming off of what will be his final major military campaign against Israel's pesky archenemy, the Philistines. And guess what? He won. And he won big. So, what do you think it is in this command that Joab doesn't like? You know, the writer of 1 Chronicles, which records this same story, he actually takes it this far. The king's directive was offensive to Joab. Now, I know the word offensive is one that gets thrown around a lot these days. A better translation would probably be repulsive or repugnant. Because besides just a responsible leader doing his due diligence, why would a lifelong winner coming to the end of his reign and coming off of a winning major military campaign, why else might he want to know the number of fighting men he has? Pride. Look at me. Look at how great I have become. That pride smells fishy to David's commander Joab, but it really stinks to the Lord. Because for one thing, it is the Lord who has made David such a winner for his whole life. It is the Lord who has given him all his success. It is the Lord who has given him his latest success against the Philistines. All success comes from God. And David has forgotten that. But it's not just that. David is also leading an entire nation that struggles with pride and thanklessness. Now, following that big victory over Philistia, we don't hear a single blip of thanksgiving from the Israelites to the Lord. They just forget him. And they go straight into enjoying the peace and prosperity of their military victory. Now, the last thing that an entire nation of proud, thankless people need is a king to set a bad example. They need a king to show them what real humility and thankfulness is. And David is failing to do that. That makes his pride stink double in the nostrils of the Lord. Now, this commander, Joab, he's got his reservations about this, but he's also got his orders from the king. So he goes ahead and makes the count. And by the way, it turns out Israel has about a million and a half men who can fight. That is a huge number for any nation in the world at this point in history. But right after the count is completed... David very quickly recognizes the pride of his heart that called for this count in the first place. David had a guilty conscience after he had counted the fighting men. So David said to the Lord, 
I have sinned greatly in what I have done, but Lord, please take away the guilt of your servant because I have acted very foolishly. But enough about King David for a while. Don't worry, we'll come back to him in a few minutes. Let's talk some more about you. So, do you know how much money you have in the bank? Do you know how much your house is worth? Do you know the status of your health? Probably you should, but much more important question by far is, why do we know these things? Do we know these things because we recognize that our health and wealth are gifts from our gracious God, and we need to know where they stand so that we can use those things as well as possible to serve God and to serve our neighbor Or do we, to some extent, maybe know those things for the same reason that David knows the number of his fighting men? I am speaking to a congregation of people here in the sanctuary and maybe watching at home who I believe have a lot in common with King David. This is a congregation full of winners. A lot of people who have had a lot of success in life, and I don't mean to insult you, but some of you have more miles behind you than you have in front of you. And I I suspect there are many young people in this congregation who someday are going to find themselves in that position of great success. When David got to that point in his life, he forgot where his good things came from, and he looked on them with pride. Do we ever look at our successes and the good things that God has given to us with that same kind of attitude? Do we ever look at our homes and our health and our cars and our bank accounts and think even a little bit, ooh, look at me. Look what I've become. That stinks to the Lord. It stinks when it comes from King David and it stinks when it comes from us too. Now David very quickly recognized his sin and he very quickly repented. And we should also say to the Lord, to whatever extent that pride and thanklessness has come into our hearts, Lord, help us see it. And then we can also join our hearts to King David and pray, Lord, please take away the guilt of your servants. Now we know for a fact how the Lord answers David's prayer for forgiveness, and we also know for a fact how he answers our prayers for forgiveness. For pride and thanklessness and every other sin, God answers with the blood of his Son, Jesus Christ, which purifies us from all sin. In this same city of Jerusalem, where David prays for forgiveness, the King of Kings is going to come and earn it with his holy life and his sacrifice on the cross. In a few minutes, we are going to watch David build an altar very near the place where David builds his altar, the Lord God built an altar of his own, and it was in the shape of a cross. We are also going to watch David make a sacrifice on his altar. Very near the place he did that, the Lord God made a sacrifice of his own, the sacrifice of his son. And in that sacrifice, David has forgiveness for his sins, and we have forgiveness for ours. Besides forgiving sins, it is also the Lord's loving purpose to discipline his people for their sins 
so they will understand how serious they are and will not return to those sins and dwell in them. And what happens in the rest of this story is not God punishing David for his sins, but it is God disciplining David. David is experiencing consequences, so whatever pride may still be in his heart is not going to surface again. And if the discipline that follows in this story seems harsh, and it is harsh, we can take away from it just how much God does hate pride in human hearts and how seriously we should take God's command to snuff it out in our own. When David got up in the morning, the word of the Lord came to Gad, the prophet, David's seer. The Lord said, go tell David, this is what the Lord says. I am laying out three choices before you. Choose one of them for yourself, and I will carry it out against you. So Gad went to David and told him about this. He said, Shall seven years of famine in your land come upon you, or three months of fleeing with your enemies pursuing you, or three days of plague be in your land? Now consider this, and decide what answer I should return to the one who sent me. David said to Gad, This puts me in a difficult position. Please, let us fall into the hand of the Lord, for his mercy is great, but do not let me fall into the hands of men. The Lord disciplines pride severely because pride is severely sinful. It is also severely dangerous to a believer. It's basically self-idolatry, pulls faith away from God, and places it in ourselves. If you are wondering why God disciplines the entire nation of Israel for David's sin, you can remember it wasn't just David who displayed the sin of pride. It was the entire nation of Israel showing no thanksgiving to God for their victory over the Philistines. David sinned, but the whole nation needs a memorable lesson to pull them out of this. If you are wondering why God offers David these three specific options as consequences, you are going to have to forward that question directly to heaven. I do not know. What I do know is that when King David is faced with three terrifying options, he chooses wisely. The Lord is more merciful than nature, so David shies away from famine. The Lord is much, much more merciful than human beings, so David shies away from attack from his enemies. And instead, he chooses his discipline directly from the Lord because, in David's words, his mercy is great. The Lord freely forgives all sins to those who turn to him with a repentant heart. David knows this. He has committed many great sins in his life and he has always received the Lord's forgiveness. David understands that the Lord is by nature merciful. So he chooses his discipline straight from the hand of the Lord, hoping that the Lord's mercy will prevail. And quickly, it does. So the Lord sent a plague against Israel from the next morning until the appointed time. 70,000 people from Dan to Beersheba died. The angel stretched out his hand toward Jerusalem to destroy it, but the Lord relented and did not bring the disaster. He said to the angel who was carrying out the destruction among the people, Enough. Now hold back your hand. 70,000 deaths is indeed harsh discipline, but the Lord stops at Jerusalem. 
Jerusalem is the capital and the most important city in Jerusalem. It is also the place where the Lord himself dwells, where his temple will be built by David's son Solomon. It is also the home of King David, whose sin the Lord has forgiven. And so there, the Lord's mercy wins out. Enough. The Lord forgives our sins freely. In love for us, sometimes he does discipline us for our sins after we commit them. And sometimes his discipline against us is rough. But when it is, the Lord invites us to do what King David did and call out to him for mercy. And when the discipline is over, we know we are forgiven. We learn our lesson and we go forward committed to leaving that sin behind. That is exactly what King David does in the rest of this story. The angel of the Lord was near the threshing floor of Arauna the Jebusite. David said to the Lord, as he was watching the angel strike the people, Look, I am the one who sinned. I am guilty, but these sheep, what have they done? Please, let your hand be against me and against the house of my father. See, King David is now once again acting the way a godly leader should act. In fact, all of Israel was guilty of this sin. But David, as a good leader, takes all the blame on himself and refuses to pass the blame to anybody else. He is already acting again like the godly leader that the Lord wants him to be. And then, David proves that God has conquered the pride in his heart. Gad came to David on that day and said to him, Go up and build an altar to the Lord on the threshing floor of Arauna the Jebusite. So David went up and obeyed Gad's instructions as the Lord had commanded. Arauna looked up and saw the king and his servants coming toward him. So Arauna went out and bowed down to the king with his face on the ground. And he said, Why has my lord the king come to his servant? Now this man Arauna, he is not an Israelite by blood but it seems like he is a believer in the Lord God of Israel. And God has also blessed him with the common sense to know that when the king of Israel steps on your property, you better show some politeness and some deference. So he does. David said, To purchase the threshing floor from you in order to build an altar to the Lord so the plague will be held back from his people. Arauna said to David, My lord the king can take it and offer whatever seems good to him. Here are oxen for the burnt offering, as well as the threshing sledges and the yokes of oxen for the wood. O king, Arauna is giving all these to the king. Arauna also told the king, the Lord your God will accept you. Now despite Arauna's very generous giving spirit and his encouragement to David that even if he donates the offering and David makes it, it will still be acceptable to the Lord. David insists on sacrificing fully from himself. It's David's sin that the Lord has forgiven. It is from David's people that the Lord is now pulling back this plague. So David will sacrifice from himself, his own altar, his own animals, his own land. But the king said to Arauna, no, I insist on purchasing it from you for what it is worth. I will not offer to the Lord my God burnt offerings that I did not pay for. So David purchased the threshing floor and the oxen for 50 shekels. That's about 20 ounces of silver. He built an altar to the Lord and offered burnt offerings and fellowship offerings there. 
The Lord heard the request for the land and the plague was held back from Israel. The Lord's mercy is great. He has built an altar on it and sacrificed his son for your sins. So now, like King David, build your own altar to the Lord and sacrifice to him. And, like King David, do it right. Sacrifice fully from yourself. In his word, God invites his people to offer their entire existence up to him. Everything we do as a sacrifice. He calls us living sacrifices. And when we sacrifice from ourselves, like King David, we are sending up a pleasing aroma to our merciful God. There is almost no end to the possibilities of the sacrifices that we can make of ourselves. But maybe tonight, in the light of this lesson, we could start here. To look at the successes God has given us, whether many or few, and just thank him for them. To look at all the good things we have in life, whether a lot or a little, and just remember in humility where those good things come from. We can go ahead and count what we have, but not to serve our pride. Instead, to consider how we can sacrifice from ourselves to our merciful Lord. For the Lord's mercy is great. Amen.